Hi, this is Dr. Adrian. Welcome to Health Bite, the podcast where we explore all things health and wellness. Hi there, Health Bite podcasters. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Udim, and I am back for another installment of our Hungry for More series. As I have mentioned, we have taken a shift in the podcast this season to explore and deepen our understanding of the physiologic, emotional, and spiritual aspects of our hunger. As always, I hope to provide you with education and in doing so, small actionable health bites towards your physical, emotional, and mental well-being. Let's dig in. Hi everyone, hope you had a great holiday weekend. So glad to be back with you. So we've spent the last couple podcasts talking about the science behind the anatomy of hunger. We've talked about hormones. We've talked about emotional hunger and how emotional hunger is essentially hardwired in our neurobiology and in our neurochemistry. We've talked about self-compassion practices. And now I wanted to talk about something a little bit more hands-on, so to speak, and give you some tips and tools. So whenever I speak to a patient or a client in the office, and I see patients for medical weight loss, but I also see patients for general nutrition, I talk about nutrition in terms of five pillars. And whether the person, again, is interested in losing weight, or whether they are interested in cognitive health or metabolic health, or even productivity in the workplace, it turns out that these five pillars are important, whether we're talking about weight loss, mind, body, or well-being. So the first of those pillars of nourishment is, of course, diet, the food that we eat. And again, I want to stress that the word diet has been taken out of context, really, in our society and in American culture to be referred to as something that is restrictive. And really, diet just refers to what it is that we eat. So like a cow's diet is plant-based, period. It does not necessarily mean anything about losing weight or a restrictive process. And I think that's really important because... As I've said before, that concept of restriction, it's really negative or affects our psychology negatively, whereas a concept of abundance has a positive impact. And why is that? When we think of things and food in terms of restriction, then invariably our minds go towards wanting more of that thing. So I posted actually on Instagram once, Why is it that every Yom Kippur, and of course, that is the one Jewish holiday in which we're expected to fast, I wake up jonesing for pancakes, and I'm not a pancake either. But the truth is that when you tell yourself you can't do something, it is part of our psychology to want more of it or to want to go towards it. So what I recommend is a diet of abundance, which means eating so much of that which serves you so that there's less room, less space, less desire for that which is not. I always talk about the macronutrients. So the macronutrients that really should be a part of every meal, and I do recommend balanced eating. I don't recommend fad diets, but again, balanced eating does support weight loss if that is your goal, but should always consist of protein. And the studies show that 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal is what is necessary to suppress hunger hormones and also to help preserve lean body mass or muscle mass when we are losing weight so that you don't lose muscle. When people lose weight, 
if they are doing it in the wrong way, meaning not consuming adequate amounts of protein, then they will certainly lose weight, they will lose fat mass, but they will also lose muscle mass. Of course, that's not wanted because if you do lose muscle mass, then your body composition actually becomes higher in your percent body fat. That's not what we want. But also that kind of weight loss doesn't support our metabolism. So as you know, your muscles will burn more calories or be more active in terms of metabolism than fat mass. And so if you are losing muscle, then by definition, you are going to lose metabolism or calories burned daily just by nature of living because your body has a less percentage of muscle. So protein is important and the goal is 20 to 30 grams, which is kind of a lot. So an egg is about six, seven grams. An egg white is about four grams. Peanut butter is only two grams per tablespoon. Chicken fish is about 25 to 27 grams per three ounces. Beef is more closer to 30 grams per three ounces, but plant-based like garbanzo beans is almost 20 grams per half a cup. So it takes being creative, particularly during breakfast. And what I recommend is that if you are vegan or vegetarian, or just can't get that protein in during breakfast or any meal for that matter, that you augment with a high quality protein powder or protein bar. Be careful of the nutritional labels. Oftentimes these bars and powders can be filled with other additives, fillers, junk essentially that's not serving you. So I like to look for something that's around 100 calories per scoop and gives you about 20 grams of protein and the Dell protein powders do that. Whey protein is what I prefer unless you have an intolerance to it because that is the best for weight loss and for muscle building. In terms of bars, I recommend something that's under 200 calories and as close to 15 grams of protein or more. And again, our Dell bars are 190 calories with 16 grams of protein. So really trying to get as much protein for the calories. But even though I advocate for protein, I am not a no carb proponent. Carbs are helpful, they are healthful, and also carbs come under a big umbrella. Under carbohydrates are vegetables, fruits, grains, beans and legumes are carbohydrates. And so are things like bread, pasta, cereal, you know, the simple carbohydrates. But complex carbohydrates like beans and legumes, like I said, also contain protein, so that's valuable. But they also contain a lot of nutrients, including B vitamins and including fiber, which is important for digestive health. It's important for cardiovascular health. It does help with satiety or fullness. So complex carbohydrates, because they take more work to break down, they result in a more steady rise in blood sugar, whereas those simple carbohydrates are going to give you a quick rise in blood sugar and a quick drop in blood sugar. That promotes cravings and hunger, whereas the steady rise is more filling and is more sustaining and sustainable in terms of appetite and metabolism. So I do recommend carbohydrates in the meal. And then I don't limit how much people consume of those things, particularly the protein. Nobody gained weight from eating too much protein. I never recommend the palm of the hand because that makes absolutely no sense to me. I tend to have a small palm of my hand. And so if I were gonna eat the amount of chicken that filled just the palm of my hand, I would be very hungry. So eat as much protein as you want. 
But what I do recommend is for whatever amount you eat that you double up on the veggies. Veggies are free nutrients, super low in calories, super high in vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. So for example, my favorite veggie that I consume every day in my salad is arugula. Arugula has two calories per cup. However, it has 30 vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. So you get so much, so much nutrition with so few calories. And if you really make the attempt of consuming different kinds and different colors, it is true that each of those colors are representing a different nutrient and antioxidant. And so you're really getting a balanced meal. So that is my recommendation in terms of diet. I recommend more whole, less processed. I am a fan, as you know, of meal replacements and bars that are nutritious and created soundly because at the end of the day, life happens and we are on the run and we do need convenience, but I'm also a proponent of whole food. Keep in mind that processed foods will not suppress hunger hormones in the same way as whole foods. For example, they've done studies where they've compared steel cut oatmeal to the tear bag oatmeal that you can cook in the microwave. And they've shown that the oatmeal, steel cut oatmeal that is cooked slowly over the stove when consumed will suppress hunger hormones more significantly than the tear pack that goes in the microwave. So there really is something to real food and our physiology really responds to that. Other tips in terms of food include hydration. I don't recommend a certain amount of water per day. Every body is different. And so as long as you are going to the bathroom regularly, you know, the urine is clear-ish, that's an indication that you're adequately hydrated. But thirst and hunger pathways do get mixed up. And so I do recommend, you know, adequate hydration. It's also good for your skin. It's also good for your cellular health and metabolism. There's so much more to say about diet and maybe we'll do another podcast that's just about dietary approach, but the take-home messages are lots of protein, 20 to 30 grams per meal. Don't skimp, double your protein in terms of veggies and fruits are okay too. I don't limit fruit. I don't recommend umpteen servings, but I think two, three servings of fruit is totally fine. And I understand that there's sugars there. They are natural sugars and they are fine, but doubling your plate in the veggies so that you get all of those free nutrients. I also recommend complex carbs, grains like quinoa, farro, barley, legumes like soybeans, lentils, beans like garbanzo beans, black beans, red beans, pinto beans, all great sources of protein and fiber. Hydrate and eat whole foods when you can. The second pillar of nourishment or nutrition is movement. And I also often say, I wish exercise and weight loss could get a divorce because really weight loss is predominantly what you consume in terms of food and much less how much you move. That having been said, Exercising while you lose weight is maybe not so important in weight loss, but pretty important in weight maintenance. And it helps again, preserve your muscle. So again, the two things you can do to preserve muscle mass while you're losing weight is adequate protein and exercise. So it's very important in terms of weight maintenance, but forget that because the benefits of exercise and movement are so, so, so much more important than the numbers on the scale. Regular exercise and not a whole heck of a lot of it has been shown 
to reduce essentially every disease process known to man. So regular exercise will reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease and heart attacks and strokes. It will also reduce the risk of all these cardiovascular risk factors, such as diabetes, hypertension, metabolic syndrome, and that happens independent of weight loss. So when you're exercising, for example, of course, your muscles are active, and so they require more glucose and more oxygen. Well, when you have active muscles, the muscles are extracting glucose or blood sugar from the bloodstream, bringing down your blood glucose levels over time will bring down your hemoglobin A1C, which is a measure of blood sugar control over a more prolonged period of time. That happens independent of weight loss. So if you are at risk for type 2 diabetes, pre-diabetic and or diabetic, exercise is going to help you improve or resolve that. So too with high blood pressure. So when you're exercising, your organs need more oxygen, your blood vessels are going to dilate in order to deliver that blood supply, the blood cells that carry oxygen to those organs. When you dilate your blood vessels, blood pressure will invariably go down. So these are just a couple examples of how regular movement is going to help with cardiovascular risk factors. It's also associated with Movement that is, is associated with reduced risk of several cancers, including breast cancer, colon cancer, associated with reduction in cognitive decline, including Alzheimer's disease, which is really kind of an epidemic now in our country. Around one in three individuals age 80 or over are suffering from Alzheimer's disease. And it also, of course, helps with mood, reduces the risk of depression, anxiety. We all know about the endorphins that come about when we exercise regularly, but you may be surprised to know that vigorous exercise, so that kind of exercise that really works your body, gets you panting, gets your heart rate up, that kind of discomfort, that physiologic discomfort or stress makes you more able to tolerate psychological stress. So there is this benefit in addition to the endorphins that when you exercise vigorously, you're better able to manage psychological stress and anxiety. So there are so many benefits to regular movement. And I call it movement because I think the word exercise is intimidating and it really is just moving your body. However you see fit, maybe that's dancing around your house. Maybe that's going for a walk or a hike with a friend. Maybe it is going to a gym. Maybe it is running outside. Maybe it's doing a walk run because you've never run in your life and you are not ready to go for a 20, 30 minute run, but you are curious if you can do it. And so I often will counsel my patients who are very sedentary to do short bouts of walking followed by short bouts of running. And as you gain stamina, you can increase that interval of running. Maybe you start running just 30 seconds at a time. 30 seconds becomes 45, 45 becomes 60. Before you know it, you're running at five minute intervals and you work your way up. So movement is super important in terms of risk reduction, prevention in all types of diseases, mind and body, as well as helping with emotional states and resilience, tolerance to stress. The last point I'll make is that you don't have to do a ton, right? So you don't have to wait until you have an hour in your day or expect that you exercise every single day. 
meet yourself where you're at. If you can only handle 10, 15 minutes, then fine, do it. Get your foot in the door. And once you get in, once you start engaging, I promise it's easier to increase that interval. What I also recommend with exercise is really set up a routine. I mean, most people don't spring out of bed ready to go for a run. Unless they've done it so many times, it's become so habitual, so part of their ritual. They are so aligned with those beneficial effects that they seek it. But at the beginning, it is hard. I guarantee you this though, if you make it a ritual, you make it a habit and you get out there, there will rarely be a time where you will come home and regret that you did it. So the second pillar of nourishment is movement. The third pillar, so here I'm gonna give you a little break, is sleep. And actually sleep has many benefits, not only cognitive benefits or mood benefits, which you may already know about, but sleep has significant metabolic benefits as well. Sleep amount or recommendation depends on the individual and depends on the age. So younger children, of course, infants need 14 to 16 hours of sleep, young children and adolescents, 10 hours of sleep. By the time you're an adult, the recommendation is eight plus hours. And the studies show that when you dip below that, particularly if you dip below seven hours of sleep, then you start to get into trouble in terms of consequences to your mental and physical health. It's not only sleep duration that is important, but sleep architecture is also important. So the quality of the sleep is also important. So trying to get restful, uninterrupted sleep. There are certain medical conditions that interrupt sleep like restless leg syndrome or obstructive sleep apnea. If you are someone who suffers from one of those things, then seek help. There are treatments for these things. For example, in terms of obstructive sleep apnea, the CPAP machine, which is cumbersome and annoying, is very restful. So patients will say, even though they don't like putting on the machine, that it's noisy and gets in the way, when they do use the machine, they get much more sound quality sleep and therefore feel much more nourished or refreshed in the morning. So sleep quality is affected by certain medical conditions. It can also be affected by lifestyle and diet. Caffeine can affect sleep architecture, even if you don't realize it. So some people will say, oh, you know, I can drink coffee and go to bed, no problem but it does interfere with sleep architecture. And finally, alcohol. Alcohol does affect sleep and that might be surprising because oftentimes people just remember the sedative effects of sleep. So when people consume alcohol, immediately it connects or triggers that GABA receptor in the brain. That is the receptor in the brain that is affected by Ativan or Valium or Xanax, those benzodiazepines. And so there is this quick sedative effect. But here's the thing, your brain tries to balance out the sedative effects of alcohol by also stimulating effects. You will initially have this sleep enhancement that occurs. But what people will often experience is that two or three hours later, they will wake up. Again, the reason for that is that it is affecting your sleep latency, your sleep onset. It is also affecting the different stages of sleep, including REM sleep, pushing REM sleep back. And so while you may or may not wake up, 
and actually experience the change in sleep quality, there is an effect on sleep quality that lasts days after your drink. So these are some of the things to keep in mind. And you know, I'm not advocating or suggesting that people never drink, but just if you are having trouble with feeling really satisfied or rejuvenated with sleep, these are some of the things that might be going on. So sleep is also really important. Now, why it's so important, there is kind of a physiology to that as well. So studies have shown that when people are sleep deprived, as little as two nights of sleep deprivation will increase hunger hormones, increase our propensity for palatable food. So not only are the hunger hormones increased, but our desire for more palatable, like high sugar, high fat foods are increased from that sleep deprivation. We also know that sleep deprivation will affect insulin and will cause insulin resistance. So this is not to scare people into getting more sleep because of course, when you're super concerned about something like sleep, then it just promotes more insecurity around it and insomnia, but there are strategies. So mindfulness meditation is an excellent strategy to help with induction of sleep. Also CBTI or cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is a validated and evidence-based strategy for sleep and is actually the first line to insomnia above sleep medication and pharmacotherapy. So if you are having trouble with sleep, consider some of these holistic approaches and speak to your physician. There are also sleep medicine doctors, holistic sleep medicine doctors that can help. We're going to stop here for this week's uh, podcast. We've talked about the three out of five pillars to nourishment. Make sure you tune in next week. We will get to the other two. I have tons of tips and resources for you. Feel free to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Adrian Udeem. I post their daily health tips and inspo. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can do that by going to dradrianudeem.com. There you can also find our weekly Health Bite podcasts. If you love us, please share us and subscribe. And finally, again, I want to share with you Hungry for More, Stories in Science to Inspire Weight Loss from the Inside Out. It is my new book that's available on Amazon, and it goes through all of the emotional, spiritual, non-physiologic hungers for which we eat, one of which is hunger for sleep. So check it out. It's available on Amazon now. Thanks so much for tuning in and remember to tune in next week where we will discuss the remaining two pillars of nourishment. Talk to you then. This episode of Health Bite is sponsored by Dell Nutrition, a line of functional nutrition bars and supplements I have personally curated to enhance health and well-being. My inspiration for this product line has been working with hundreds of patients over the past decade, empowering them to better health. You can find out more at dellnutrition.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and are inspired to take a small bite towards your own health and wellness. If you love what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or anywhere else you podcast and share us. If you're looking for more inspo, you can find lots of content and sign up for my newsletter at dellnutrition.com. There you can learn more about me and my curated line of supplements and functional protein bars. Thank you for listening and I look forward to seeing you again next week.